Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Woe is Media. You got Alyssa and Annabelle here. We're back. We're going to get into some current events this week. What you got going on, Alyssa? Today, it's it's actually, I believe, a historic moment in Woe is Media podcast history. Um, I might have just said history twice, but I don't care. Annabelle and I are talking about almost the same subject in 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 one of each of our stories. Yes, that so, is true. We so, will uh, get into that, and they dovetail nicely. But there, it is a rarity that there is some overlap between the entertainment and the business worlds. But so, this time there is. I'm going to be talking about the most talked about series of the week, aka and just like that, the. HBO Max sequel to the mega hit Sex in the City and Annabelle is actually going to focus on like the business side effect of one of the major plot points of the show mm-hmm. so spoiler alert ahead of time and other than that I'm going to be talking about you know our favorite award show the Golden Globes once again making headlines for inclusivity question mark we'll get into it nice nice so as Alyssa said, the first part of my segment today has to do with kind of the business element of one of the plot points of the Sex in the City reboot. And then my second story is about how there are some um, unionization efforts going on at Starbucks, which is historic for them. So we're talking Sex in the City and Starbucks and Peloton, which just makes me sound like an incredible white girl. I, know. I, I realized that. However, I don't participate in Peloton and I don't condone the cult of Peloton. So I'll just say that now. <laughs> I thought you were about to say I don't condone Starbucks. And I was like, that is a false lie right there. She's literally got it with her right now. Yeah, I just I just went. I walked back up and set up my microphone. Where's your reusable cup, babe? You have to buy a holiday drink to get those. But like, don't you have like one like the like not non-holiday though? I do, but I don't know how that works. I don't think you necessarily like get a discount or anything for that. I guess. <laughs> I'd, ha- I'd have to look into it. I mean, that would be like better, obviously, for the environment, but I don't, it's probably less coffee. So save the planet, Annabelle. How is it less coffee if it's the same size? I don't think it is the same size. That's like a oh. 20 ounce cup. This is 24. Oh, is the difference? Don't have, they don't have different sizes for the reusables? I don't know. I didn't, I never bought the reusables. They were all like gifted to me. Annabelle and I will look into that later for a follow-up story. <laughs> yes, off topic. Okay, so I'll get into it here. So my first story is called Peloton's Problems Persist. Ooh. So you obviously know, as I described Peloton as a cult, what I think of it. I mean, there's nothing wrong inherently with exercising and indoor cycling. Like there's nothing wrong with any of that. I just think it's funny how it's become such a phenomenon and now like certain Peloton instructors like Cody Rigsby or like celebrities, you know, like they're on Dancing with the Stars and things like that. Like, it's, who cares? He's a fitness instructor. Why does it matter? Why do we care about his life? I don't know. I don't personally, but I've never uh, heard of that man. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen him on like TikTok and certain things. And I don't know. I mean, it, it's cool that these people are fitness enthusiasts and they make a living off of it, but I digress. So Peloton has had some issues lately. Obviously, the pandemic was great for them because people were not going to SoulCycle or Cycle Bar or any sort of like gyms where they could do indoor cycling. They were going and doing it at home. So Peloton made a killing during the pandemic 
it was an amazing time for them. They had a ton of sales of their home bikes and their treadmills because, you know, people just had no other option. Um, but that kind of was a bubble and it has popped. So Peloton, their sales have gone just way down for both their stationary bike and their treadmill. Sales are down 17% for third quarter 2021, which is obviously a big decrease. And both the treadmill and the stationary bike, it makes up 60% of their business. So my guess is the remaining amount of it comes from like the sales of the the cycling shoes and like the memberships to actually like shoes yes I only know this because my father bought one recently I did not necessarily think that was wise of him and guess how many times he's used it once like three times yeah (laughs) expensive investment but um anyway yeah you you I don't think you have to do this but the pedals are so small on a peloton bike and you're supposed to really have like cycling shoes that clip into the pedals to stabilize you better like Alyssa and I we used to have a peloton at our apartment gym in college and I tried it a couple times and like I don't have big feet but my feet were like always falling off the pedals I could not stay balanced on it I tried it a total of once yeah it was not fun so apparently the the shoes are like if you're really going to ride it often the shoes are a good investment so I imagine that's part of their other 40 percent of the business that does not make up with the actual exercise machines. That sounds um, so stupid. I know. I agree. Peloton share prices, they hit a one-year low last Friday of $37.67. So not a terrible share price in the grand scheme of the stock market, but it's certainly down from where it was. Um, and it's it's kind of under some scrutiny. A lot of people think that its best days are behind them. Uh, Credit Suisse equity research analyst, he cut the target price for Peloton by over half. He had originally projected that it was going to be $112 a share. He cut it to $50 a share. And instead of having it as a strong buy recommendation, he has it as a neutral now. So what that means for people who are not constantly following equity research, it's they're basically a team of research analysts within a bunch of different investment banks, and they're constantly reviewing different stocks and making recommendations and doing pricing models to see what they think the potential for that stock is. And people on the on Wall Street tend to pay attention to it, especially for big stocks like Peloton that have been in the, the news a lot lately. People tend to like listen to that kind of stuff. So if there's any sort of negative announcement or research development from an analyst, that tends to drive the stock price downward. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So yeah. That was a big drop, obviously, from $112 a share to $50 a share. And sales obviously have dropped because gyms are reopening and people are going back to it. And also, and this is kind of the obvious, but people don't necessarily think about this. You don't need to like upgrade an exercise bike every year. or no. You don't need to replace it regularly. It's just a one-time purchase. So even if you're like getting on it every day and riding, the only thing that you're having to renew annually is your membership to you know access the classes so and that's a significantly piece significantly lower piece of revenue for them than the actual bikes themselves so yeah um peloton says that they have underestimated how much people would want to return to in-person gyms and fitness classes um there's also a really big movement right now to resell peloton so instead of like people who have purchased them are like i don't want this anymore they're trying to put it on the market So there's a 77% increase 
in resale for Peloton. So oh, that's saying oh. something. People are like, I don't have the space for this anymore. I'm, I'm not using this. Like, let me try and get this off my hands. So, and also, as I just said, it's kind of a one and done. And when you buy, even when you just join a gym membership, you probably go regularly once you first sign up. And then it kind of tapers off a bit. Yeah. Same thing with the Peloton and really any exercise equipment. It kind of just, you know, you get excited when you first buy it and then life gets in the way. And, you know, that happens. It's it's pretty natural. That's not necessarily Peloton's fault, but that's kind of, you know, if they don't diversify into maybe other forms of health or fitness, it's going to be an issue for their bottom line for sure. So this is where we get into Sex in the City. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. If you do not want to spoil the new and just like that reboot of Sex in the City, maybe skip to like the end of the podcast. We can put a timestamp in the show notes once it's up and going. But yeah, here we go. So Peloton's experiencing a PR image issue because the new Sex in the City revival has a major plot twist in the premiere where our favorite man, Mr. Big, our major character, our favorite is incredibly sarcastic, by the way. Yeah, the thought of him being my favorite male character on the show just made me cackle. He's awful. Alyssa and I are both hardcore Miranda stands. I love Steve Brady. Steve Brady is like... Steve is great. he's, He's the perfect man outside of the movies. The movies did him dirty. But anyways, continue. Yes, on the show though, he's he's very sweet. I love Wonderful. him. Too. Him and Miranda are just like a good so good. They pair nicely together. <laughs> um so yeah, Mr. Big is on a Peloton and shortly mm-hmm. after he does his Peloton ride, he suffers from a heart attack. And of course, the show calls out Peloton by name because they're trying to be culturally relevant and people yes. are using Peloton these days. That's why they weren't like, oh, a stationary bike. <laughs> You know, they had to use the term just to stay with the times. So he attended a Peloton class and died with Allegra. Never forget Allegra. Yeah, she was the instructor, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. So it, it, it's caused a little bit of an issue with the brand. Um, it shows that Peloton is kind of losing degrees over control of its storytelling, according to the news. Um, so... Yeah, and Peloton had sort of a funny response. They made a statement about the Sex in the City death. Um, they they got a doctor to like come talk about this, mm-hmm. and they said that his death was likely due to his unhealthy lifestyle with eating a bunch of steak and drinking and smoking. And if anything, the Peloton helped elongate his life, mm-hmm. <laughs> not shorten it. Um, <laughs> So, and also that there was a previous cardiac event in season six. Hello. Did we just forget about that? I know. Right. So, um, yeah, which is kind of funny. The fact that they have to get this doctor to come talk about a fictional character dying after using one of their bikes. They also have released a commercial with both Mr. Big and Allegra where Mr. Big is alive and it's so like, wait, I didn't know this part. Oh my gosh. We will have to put either a link to the video or like a screen grab from it on our Instagram because it is it's creepy it gave me the creeps big he's sitting let me set the scene there's a fire and it's like the holidays right so they got stockings and there's like romantic music playing and he's sitting on the couch with Allegra which like I guess in the show does he have a crush on her 
Well, it's like she, like Carrie makes fun of how like attached to her he is. Like he's like, oh yeah, Allegra, like it's her, it's her night, you know, like it's like a joke Mm because she's like the only trainer that he really like works with, I guess. Okay. Well, they insinuate some dirty things in this commercial. They're (gasps) sitting on the couch talking and like Big looks over at her and goes, so should we take a ride? Yeah, I know. And like it pans to the back and you just see like a pair of Peloton bikes implying it's not supposed to be dirty, but like it's so inherently dirty. And he's like, life's too short not to. Ew. And then it like cuts away and I guess they're still talking and the background is like Peloton. It has some sort of promotional thing. And then it goes, he's alive. (laughs) That's the end of the commercial. He's not though. He's I know he's not though but it's so ridiculous that like they also what a pivot to like have that commercial put out and put on the air that maybe they knew it was coming and they just didn't expect the downfall in their stock price as a result of the sex in the city episode I don't know but Peloton stock is down 73 percent for the year and it has reduced its bike price it's had to recall its treadmills because there have been death and injuries and it's had to slash its sales forecast and it's frozen hiring. And all of this was prior to Sex in the City. So Peloton's got 99 problems. Mr. Big is only one of them. I'm literally watching the commercial with no sound and I'm already uncomfortable. Yeah, no, it's so <laughs> uncomfortable. Like just what they've tried to accomplish here. And I understand they're like, oh, like it's not our fault. We didn't kill Mr. Big. And like, no, they probably didn't kill Mr. Big, but it's just icky. I'm not a fan. I also love, like, I'll get more into this, like, in my part, but I love how, like, angry people are about his death. Because, like, in the history of Sex in the City, Mr. Big is one of the most hated characters. Yeah, I mean, the that's like a, se- a six-season-long whiplash. Yeah! He hates and loves Mr. Big. He gets married, and she has an affair with him. God. Oh. He leaves the wife. They finally get married in the movies, and even that's a whole big hullabaloo. He moves to Napa, like yeah, God. like it's a mess. He lives in Paris for a while in the shows, like mm-hmm. it's it's no bueno. There's it's also, I I you haven't seen the shows yet, right? I haven't seen the reboot. No, Martha told me it was hot garbage, so I yeah. decided not to. I might change my mind later. We'll see. I'm hanging in there for content purposes, but um, I can tell you that in the second episode, like after it happens, there's a very quick exchange with Carrie. And I can't remember if it was Charlotte or Miranda, but, um, or maybe, maybe it was Charlotte and Harry talking, but like, they're like, he's had heart issues in the past. Why was he doing this? And I believe Charlotte says he got approved to do this by his cardiologist. Oh, so, so there's somebody to blame here that damn cardiologist yeah you don't know what he's talking about revoke his medical license oh mr big he killed mr big also like like in the scene where like carrie finds him because she's like out at um charlotte's daughter's piano recital when this happens and that's why he ends up dying because no one else was in the 
apartment with him but she comes back and she just stares at him and then is like john and i know that was like the big thing in like the finale episode we find out what mr big's name is and it's john preston but like i just can't like there's something weird about her calling him john no that's unnatural i don't like that yeah so that's and of course his name is like something boring (laughs) it's no it's literally like at the funeral it's like john james preston i was like what a basic ass name yeah really Ugh. that's all i got on peloton though it's i should note that like this is kind of one of those things that will pass right like sex in the city using peloton as the vehicle for mr big's dead is probably not going to cause a permanent downfall and sales for peloton but they've already been having trouble and Mm -hmm. this certainly didn't help and it's also just hilarious that they have to like defend their product because of a fictional character of course yes that's what i got on that okay well in a swift transition we're gonna keep talking about sex in the city with my segment titled meh in the city nice thank you HBO Max's sequel to the mega-hit Sex in the City is being met with mixed reviews, many criticizing the series' attempts at being woke and completely missing the mark. And I have a few areas that I would like to highlight of how they're missing the mark, so to speak. The first one is sexuality. Now, Carrie in this new show is noticeably seems to have quelled her desire to speak publicly about sexuality despite somehow scoring a spot on a sex-driven podcast like Mm -hmm. this is this is her new gig it's i think it's called like x y and me okay so it's got sarah ramirez from um gray's anatomy Um, they play a non-binary character which we'll get more into in a second and then carrie is in it. it's like a three-person panel Mm-hmm. um on this podcast and sorry if this is gonna get this is gonna get a little um raunchy but it's literally a show called sex in the city so what do you expect so they start talking about like public masturbation and where's like the craziest place that they've done that so to speak and carrie like flat out refuses to say anything and i'm like this is a person who had a newspaper column for like years that only focuses on sex. And I get it. You know, we can argue like, oh, she's grown up. That's not her anymore. But like, how do you think she scored this podcast gig? Yes. But talking about your own personal experience and like she did talk about her own personal experiences to some degree in her column, Mm -hmm. but it was more like generalities and then like she would you know talk to other women on the street and stuff like that talking about your own experience especially one with that topic Mm -hmm. I mean which is inherently incredibly personal and intimate yeah I don't know I I I get it's like not in conjunction with her character historically Mm -hmm. but like from a personal level I get why she wouldn't want to talk about that that's fair yeah I also I've been going back and like this is watching these first two episodes spurred a rewatch So I've been watching the first season recently and in the fourth episode, we, the, all the girls are literally in the back of a public taxi talking about anal. Oh yeah. So, and that's like, like, they just have no shame about it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like the shame factor is like no longer here. Like she's more shameful than shameless, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
Che, who is Sarah Ramirez's character, says, like, you've got to be more vocal with us. Like, you, not necessarily, like, you've got to share every inch of your personality, but you've got to talk more. Like, people are forgetting that you're in this On the podcast. podcast yeah. So, and that's another, that's another thing. Like, you knew what this podcast was going to be about if you weren't comfortable talking about these subjects why'd you agree to come on so my biggest hope is that charlotte has improved over the years particularly from her slut shaming ways on an otherwise very sexually progressive television show because charlotte especially was really bad in the original show about slut shaming she was she was very much like the conservative like Mm -hmm. and like it was silly for her to slut shame because mm-hmm. it's not like she was being like chased until marriage or anything like that. No, she just didn't. I don't know. Like Samantha obviously had partners aplenty and mm-hmm. Charlotte was judgmental of that. And there were certain. It just doesn't track. Mm-mm. It doesn't track at all. And like the amount of times, like even in the first like eight episodes I've watched already, her talking about like so-and-so is not how you get a husband like men don't marry whores and I'm like good god yeah she's just all about like that's her ultimate goal yes and it it bothers her when people don't have the same goal (laughs) yes and it's I believe in like one of the first episodes Carrie makes a really good analogy and is like marriage and motherhood is the sorority that Charlotte is forever trying to pledge yeah, that's I'm like yeah. that is a good way to put it. So is she more progressive in the reboot? So far, like she really hasn't been able to talk about um sex that much. Like, you know, her plot lines are obviously more focused around her children. Yeah, her and family. like how raising them is going. And both girls are like, I don't believe they're teenagers yet. I believe they're both preteens. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that question will come up soon and we'll see how that goes. Um, also, uh last night I watched episode six of season one and that's the episode where Miranda meets this guy and everything seems to be going well it always it's always that way everything's going well until something happens and she finds out he watches like porn about he's got a porn addiction yeah no 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 it's just spanking just like oh oh that okay yeah and she like kind of like first of all she finds this out by like snooping through his things which Mm -hmm. is not cute and then, like, she brings it up and is like, you want to spank me? And he, like, never talks to her again. So, yeah. in a way, I felt that that was, like, slightly kink-shaming. And yeah, once man. again, this is a sexually progressive television show, and I don't feel that kink-shaming has any, you know, um, place in it. So, I guess part of it is, like, they're being educated in other kinks and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I guess maybe the show is trying to, sh- like demonstrate that if you shame this is like what can happen to you like people are there you go and stuff like that that would be my spin on it um I don't think like it doesn't because it doesn't do much for character development if they're all open to everything all the time true yeah and something about these first few episodes makes me think one of the ladies is going to have a midlife identity crisis regarding their sexuality. My bet at this moment is Miranda, seeing as she hit it off with Chase so easily, and she has this budding friendship with one of her, um, what do you call it, grad school professors. It is worth noting, however, that 
I believe Cynthia Nixon, who is a famously queer woman who plays Miranda, has said she doesn't want Miranda to be queer in the past. For why, I'm still not really sure. I need to do more research on that. Wait, she hits it off with Chase? Is that the the other podcast? C-H-E. Oh, that's the yeah. other podcast host, right? Yes. Okay. They're they're the non-binary character played by right. Sarah Ramirez. Yes. Right. Um, and the professor's name is Dr. Naya Wallace. And to be fair, Naya is either in a in a marriage situation with a man or is um in a long-term partnership because they're talking about like IVF in like one oh, quick yeah. scene. So it's but- possible she'll experiment. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And like, obviously, you know, like things are very different now versus like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yes, Miranda is married. Yes, Naya is, you know, seemingly in a committed (laughs) relationship. Yes. But like, you know, relationships can be open and like allow other people to experiment. There's a lot of like um, marriages that I've heard of nowadays that like allow people to go like discover themselves and then, you know, like come back or leave or do whatever is best for them. So I like, I would, I would enjoy them to kind of explore that because once again, we love Steve. Steve doesn't need to go anywhere. We love Steve. No, absolutely. Um, also, I would just like to um, highlight another comment that Carrie made in the first few episodes of season one, where she said bisexuality is the last stop to gay town. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, not and a then fan of that. Samantha famously says, Oh, it's the new thing. Everyone will be pansexual one day. Yeah. So, which is also like, I mean, I guess it's good Samantha's like open to it, but she's also like making it like a trend. Yeah. Just like fetishizing it. Yeah. Which I'm not yeah. here for. Yeah. Um, and in the last part of the sexuality um, discussion, don't get me started on the tired trope of two old gay men that hate each other remaining together because they're scared of being alone, a.k.a. Stanford and Anthony. They should yes. have never gotten together, let alone lasted over 10 years in what appears to be a chemistry lacking and possibly loveless marriage. Mic drop. Yeah, don't don't Charlotte and Carrie introduce them and like Stanford's so offended. <laughs> They hate each other. They hate each other for like the entirety of the series that they know each other. And then like they hit it off in the first movie and the second movie starts with their wedding. And literally there's a scene where one of them, I believe it's Anthony. He's like, oh, we don't really like each other, but you know, we're getting old. Yeah. So not here for that. And from what we've seen of them in these past few episodes, they still don't really get along that well. Okay. Next is gender expression. Now, the show introduces us once again to Che Diaz in its first attempt at positive expression outside of the binary. Um, Never forget Samantha's feud with Black trans sex workers living their lives outside the apartment she chose to move into in the meat packing district. district. Not a fan of that (laughs) storyline. That pissed me off. Um, Shay is completely fine thus far. And while I applaud the show for casting an actual non-binary person to play them, we haven't really gotten to see much of what makes them tick just yet. And something about- Is Sarah Ramirez non-binary? Yes. I did not realize that. They came out um, last year and they began identifying with she, they pronouns, but now they are exclusively using they, they, okay. That's interesting. I was watching an old rom-com last night and they made a cameo appearance as like a cashier. Mm -hmm. I love them. 
that's I funny. Sarah Ramirez. I'm I'm excited to see where they take this character. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Something about Rose, Charlotte's youngest daughter, the um her biological daughter that she had with Harry, screams very queer coded energy to me. I don't know what it is and whether this be explored through gender or sexuality or both. Who knows? I really hope that they don't waste the opportunity sure. because Right now, it's very it's very leaning towards, you know, Lily, the older daughter, is very prim, proper, everything that Charlotte wanted in a child, and Rose is, like, the rebellious one, so. Okay, well, Charlotte could do for some, for having to deal with that, you know? Yes, I completely agree. Next is POC representation. Sex and the City famously lacked the diversified makeup of real-life New York, and even when characters of color were introduced, they were normally one-note, stereotypically racist, and or didn't really last very long. I have two notable ones in that. Samantha's lover, Maria, who is one of her longest relationships, Mm -hmm. but despite the girls thinking it's, quote, just a phase, once again, the bisexuality erasure is just pissing me off. And then Samantha's other lover, Siobhan, whom she fetishizes and whose sister she antagonizes into the angry black woman trope. Yes, that was terrible. I do remember that episode. I was going to bring that up if you didn't. Um, Not a fan. Do you know who plays the sister? I I see her face, but I can't remember her name right now. Uh, I forgot her last name, but her first name is Sundra and she places fourth on Survivor Cook Islands wait really yeah because <laughs> she's an actress but she her hair is very different on the show versus when she's out on the island like on the island she has like oh my god we that. watched that season together that was the yeah, first season did. you ever yeah, showed no, I me watched, i watched um survivor before i saw that sex in the city episode and when i went back and watched it and i was like that looks exactly like her and i knew she was an actress and if you look at the credits yeah it's Sun- i think oakley is her last name sundra oh, oakley you're correct oh my gosh yeah isn't that wild wow oh i love that okay but yes we're not a fan of that storyline pisses me off every time i watch it. it just makes me angry but the inclusion of Dr. Nia Wallace, Che Diaz, and this new character named Lisa Todd Wexley are nice touches. They're all um, women of color. I'm really excited. But once again, at this point, it's too early to see whether or not our hopes will be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And the last real section that I have to talk about is the aged writing. Both of the first episodes of the new series were written and directed by Mike Michael Patrick King, who is an original writer for the show. And while this may add to the sense of nostalgia and ingenuity, King is a 69-year-old white man that cannot possibly understand all of the nuances that of the topics that they're now trying to cover. No. Like, once again, characters that we once held very dear to her, our heart are barely shelves of their former selves, namely Miranda. She's coming off as a complete Karen, in my opinion, that cares more about her public image than the actual issues she's trying to address. Right. She also she also just seems to have lost every sense of herself, seeing as she was one of the original 90s, early 2000s feminists. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know she's obviously not part of the show because uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall were beefing. And they didn't want to work together again. But Samantha, di- doesn't she move to London because she and Carrie have a falling out or something? I, I actually have that involved in this part of the story. So Samantha, okay, sorry, go ahead. yeah, no, you're fine. You're fine. Thank you for the transition. Samantha, yes, um, apparently gets really upset because Carrie wants to change publish- publicists, publishers, one of the two for her Publicist. book. And Samantha, like, 
gets so angry that she cuts off communication with all three women and just moves to London. And she that would is, never do that. That's so unlike Samantha. No, like she's she's a boss lady. Like she don't give a flying. She's also a ride or die. Like you can say what yeah. you want about Samantha's promiscuity or whatever, sexual freedom, whatever, but she will go to bat for her best friends. No, yeah, she's she's a loyal woman. Like mm-hmm. there's no way she would be like, oh, I'm so offended and then move across the pond. Yes. So oh, Carrie, as I stated before, has softened a little bit in age, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But the problem is you can't make a show regarding sex in the city with someone who is now seemingly afraid to talk about sex in the city right so um charlotte for the most part so far seems the most like her self in the original show um so i'm interested to see if they try to change like aspects about her if they try to take her in a completely new direction also i just want to shout out harry because i also love harry i love harry's great Harry's doing the damn thing. We love Harry. Um, and broke down I, all of Charlotte's walls. I love Harry. Oh my god. She's like, he has hair everywhere but his head. <laughs> the bald Jewish man, and she's like a Presbyterian princess. No, the Episcopalian princess. Episcopalian, <laughs> the princess. Wrong um, <laughs> also, I forgot that in one of the earlier seasons, she has a fling with a Hasidic Jewish man. Yes, I do remember that. I forgot about that. And I was like, oh, wow, how the turntables. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I want to leave on the biggest question that the new show has posed. Should Carrie have called 911? Well, so he had the heart attack, but he wasn't like dead upon the, yeah, of course she should have called 911. She literally gets home and just stands there like frozen, which I totally understand. Like when you see someone you love in distress, you, fr- you freeze. Panic, yeah. And he like, he's holding his his heart and he just looks at her and he like kind of breathes a little bit. Like he's still alive. Like you can tell he's still breathing. And she like runs over and is like, John, like I made mention of, and like holds him. And the next scene you see is Miranda opening the door and Carrie's just standing there, and behind her is the coroner with the body. So it's like, why didn't you call 911? I mean, it, it may have been in vain, but you never know. But yeah, exactly. You never know what could have happened. So mm-hmm. um, the departure of Chris Noth is in some ways upsetting, seeing that Big and Carrie were finally truly happy together after so many years of back and forth. However, I understand... I I understand the writer's reasoning. This move takes Carrie out of this new comfort zone created by marriage. And I'm honestly curious to see how it develops. Like, see, maybe if she goes back to like, not her old ways, but like, you know, sees how she can approach like her past life as the sex columnist into this new age and this new, new age. Like she's in her like fifties and sixties now. That's Mm -hmm. all I have on Sex and the City. That went long, but. No, I like it. Do you have like a favorite episode or memory from like the older show oh god um wow I I always love the 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 guy that dressed up in the sandwich costume and it was like she was a lawyer he was a sandwich that's one of my favorite that was a funny one yeah he was lines um I'm with you like he has hair everywhere I I love because because screw Trey McDougal like yeah we didn't like yeah, that. he was terrible, but he was exactly like what she thought she ended up with would end up with. And like, and then the she gets the exact opposite. That yeah. that's really great. Once again, I just love Steve. I, I like 
like I said, the movie did him dirty by giving him this whole like cheating storyline. Steve would never cheat on Miranda. No, he's so. a devout man. We love we love Steve, but that's all I have. <laughs> Very nice. All right, I will get into my second story here. So it's called Buffalo Baristas Banding Together. Ooh. So Buffalo, New York, or the area there around, um, some of the Starbucks baristas, they held a vote this week on whether or not they want to unionize. So this happened in Elmwood, New York, which is, I guess, a suburb of Buffalo. I'm not super familiar with that area, to be honest, but that's where this happened. So the vote went 19 to 8, yes, versus no. So they did vote to unionize. And this is just, it should be noted, one cafe. It's not for like the whole Starbucks chain in the area or regionally or anything like that. They have to do it on a cafe by a cafe basis. And this is historic because it is the first Starbucks union. It's called Starbucks Workers United. Mm-hmm. And this is a movement that's been happening like more or less nationally, but this is sort of where it, it began. And this is where they had one of the first votes. So this is kind of a movement to get unionization going for Starbucks. Starbucks hasn't had this before. And it should be noted that Starbucks historically has been a really good company to work for compared to other firms in the food and beverage industry. We know that that is a brutal industry for people to work in because it pays poorly and you're on your feet all day. They tend to have bad benefits, but Starbucks is an industry leader in terms of benefits. Mm -hmm. So you might be asking, well, why do they need to unionize if Starbucks is still doing all these things well for their employees. Yes. I would encourage people to be open-minded to the fact that A, it's not all about money. Like just because they have a good salary or good hourly wage does not necessarily equate to worker happiness and, you know, good retention and things like that. It also just like corporations can always do better Mm -hmm. for their staff. They just can. We'll get more into the details, but they're also in addition, they're not really, it's not about money. A lot of times in this case, they are pretty happy with their, I believe the hourly wage for starting Starbucks right now is 15 an hour. And the average, I believe for all Starbucks baristas is $17 an hour, which is, you know, in an industry leader, like I said, but they want to unionize because they're asking for more staffing and training support, which if you have gone into a Starbucks recently, they are a zoo. And part of the reason is the holidays, you know, people with colder weather, people tend to want to get hot beverages more. Plus Starbucks has a really fun holiday menu and, you know, people want to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. And because it's, you know, kind of this great resignation wave, staffing has been an issue. People are quitting, even if, again, if they do have good wages and stuff like that, or people are just tired of dealing with like some of the demanding customers who have these like ridiculously long orders. Yeah. Like that have all these customizations. I mean, it's just kind of silly. So, but that's that's part of the reason why some workers at Starbucks want to unionize. So now requests will be sent to a union representative who is going to kind of negotiate with the store manager. So instead of the store manager taking things to corporate, there will be discussions between the manager and the head of the local union, and then they will come up with something to then take to corporate. So there's another go-between and there's somebody who's a little bit more on behalf of the baristas as opposed to just the manager, because in theory, the manager should be for the baristas, but there's different incentives and things like that for store managers. So Mm -hmm. if there's any sort of conflict of interest where something is good for the manager, but not necessarily the baristas. Yes. 
that's the point of the union to kind of bridge the gap there. So Starbucks corporate employees were not happy with this. Like the, the higher ups at the corporation, they basically tried to stop it. <laughs> they showed up to the vote at this Elmwood, New York location. Um, and they tried to dissuade employees from voting yes. They're like, but look at this money we provide. It's industry leading, blah, blah, blah. And they, they tried to stonewall it basically. And, you know, the, the barista said, nah, we're, we're going to vote for this. And they passed it 19 to eight. So, and this is a symbolic victory for workforce and the labor movement. So since this one passed, there was another vote at a separate cafe in the area. Um, they voted eight to 12, yes to no. So that one did fail, though it was pretty close. Um, and then there's a third cafe that's gonna vote typically at some point in the next couple of weeks or so. So it should be noted also that it's really hard for restaurant workers to unionize because there's terrible retention. Like people just don't stick around yeah. long enough to bother with it. There's a lot of turnover. Um, only 1.2% of food and drink workers are union members compared to like, I believe it's seven-ish percent, mm -hmm. which is the national average. So significantly lower. And union drives we know have been popular this year because there's just been an overall sentiment of workers being unhappy. Like there was a drive to try and unionize at Amazon that failed. And then there were strikes in Hollywood and John Deere and Kellogg's, all of that going on. Kroger. Kroger, yeah. There's been just kind of a worker uprising and people just demanding better pay and better conditions, and rightfully so. Yes. So, and once a store unionizes, they have to negotiate a contract with Starbucks corporate. So it'll have potentially different changes than maybe most Starbucks that are not unionized originally operate at. So, and as I said, this has been kind of a trend because of the labor shortage and workers have a lot more power. So they're kind of demanding that these corporations are going to listen. Um, Starbucks has been accused of, you know, threatening these union attempts, trying to intimidate them, surveillance tactics to try and stop the unions. They've obviously like denied all of this, but they showed up to the vote to try and stop it. Like that's clearly an intimidation tactic, isn't it? Yeah. So, and it's interesting that it took this long for a unionization effort at Starbucks to happen. But again, it's because they have been kind of a leader in the industry for benefits and pay and stuff like that. But with this overall labor power sentiment in the economy, this is kind of like the perfect storm for Starbucks to try and start unionizing. So a lot of people who are with the, or kind of behind the unions and who support them, they cite working conditions and staffing shortage as major problems. Um, and a few more cafes are hopefully going to be unionizing soon, or at least vote on it. Again, it's up to the actual baristas whether or not they want to bother with this. Some people are kind of happy as it is and don't necessarily see a reason for it. Some people are afraid of retaliation against from corporate, so they vote no. Um, totally understandable. Yeah, totally understandable. Sometimes job security is more important um, to individuals based on their circumstances. So we can't fault them for that because yeah. times are tough, damn it. Also, it's hard to think of Starbucks ever being quote unquote weak, but 2021 has not been great for Starbucks um, because of higher labor costs, supply chain shortages, and it's been the worst year for the stock since 2017. Mm. So now it should be noted that Starbucks is obviously a massive 
chain. They have over 9,000 stores and only a few stores so far have like voted to unionize, but it still is historic just because it hasn't happened before. And right now, 68% of Americans support unions. So maybe there really will kind of be a wave of unionization across Starbucks's nationwide, mm-hmm. or maybe corporate will but maybe they'll figure out something that's more that's better for Starbucks baristas and maybe they'll be able to you know limit some things because I think the staff obviously customers can be rude you're on your feet all the time if people call out you're kind of screwed and there's just no slowdown like you can't really control the amount of customers coming in the only way to potentially stop that is to build other stores which Starbucks sometimes does but that doesn't necessarily take away customers so much as it does maybe attract new ones who wouldn't have gone before true so that's potentially an issue but it should be noted unionizing ultimately means that these employees want to stay with Starbucks this is definitely a market where they could be looking for other jobs if they wanted to but they're like, no, we like Starbucks. Mm-hmm. We just want some changes that will work for us. So if somebody's unionizing, it means that they ultimately want to work for that company. They just want to have some input on things that are changes. So Senator Bernie Sanders, who's obviously very pro-labor, you know, he applauded the, the effort and he's yes. very supportive of the other cafes who are voting to unionize going forward. So we will see what happens. Um, but I generally speaking, I'm on the pro-labor side. I think even if Starbucks has the good wages and benefits and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. people are happy working there, again, corporations can always do better. Yes, always. They just can. And as an avid Starbucks customer, I know how hard those employees work. Mm-hmm. I give them a Christmas card with a cash tip every year. That's and- so cute. Oh, well, thank you. I try. I just write like a little note, like, thanks for powering me through my work days do you like happy holidays because i know you have a specific um starbucks that you frequent do you do you know them in there by name i know a couple of them okay okay yeah my girl's name is regina she's the queen shout out to regina we love her yes she's great she's like hey annabelle how you doing (laughs) see you tomorrow (laughs) yeah you will regina so yeah i gotta go to the atm now and get get some cash to put in their box and write up a little card that reminds me but uh i love yeah. that oh my they God. don't get i mean they certainly don't get the kindness no even if they're paid well like just just thank a barista don't always- sorry sorry don't go in there with like this ridiculous like i've seen tiktoks that are like how to order a rainbow unicorn frappuccino the secret so, menu stuff yeah like don't do that it's, it's cool that they have a secret menu but like especially like read the room if there's nobody in there okay maybe that's a time to try out the secret menu but if the drive through line is winding around the parking lot six times just no just get a nice coffee or a latte and go home really though now i like kind of want to go get a lemonade and a cake pop yeah you should <laughs> Think of a barista. Would, would would I be like? Would I would I be like? What's the word? Betraying the union if I do that? No, not at all. Okay. By supporting, like by purchasing anything. I don't know. I'm well, always- the unions right now are only happening in New York. Oh, okay. Well, I just I always want to make sure I'm not crossing a picket line. It's like a- oh no no no. I mean, unless you see 
a literal picket line at your local Starbucks. I remember it would be okay. I remember last year, or not last year, we uh, recently with the Kellogg strike, I literally like watched like cars like literally break a picket line, and I was like, damn. Can y'all not like well, it, it, a strike is different from a unionization effort. Like mm-hmm. they're not actively striking right now. So I don't think, I mean, I'm sure corporate would thank you for your purchase. And I think, yeah, as long as you're nice to the baristas, <laughs> they would thank you for your purchase too. All right. Noted then. That's all I got for Starbucks. Okay. So I've cut this story down a little bit, um, but I do want to address it because it was something that was very prevalent at the beginning of the year when we were first starting out. And that is the 79th Golden Globe nominations that just came out this week. Now, the Golden Globes and the Hollywood Ford and Press Association as a whole have been met with a lot of backlash this year, mostly because of the previous Um, investigation that went into the HFPA that found that not a single um, Black journalist was involved with the Hollywood Press Association's nomination committee for Golden Globes. And that is wrong. We, We acknowledge that. We have in the past. We will now. And ever since that happened, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association has really been trying to like bring it back like NBC dropped the show altogether and I was gonna say aren't the Golden Globes not being televised this year well that's the thing so after NBC dropped them I guess the HFPA was like surely someone else will pick up this opportunity as of right now there is no known network that has picked up the show and um it's in less than a month that's hysterical so I guess we we'll never know what happened at the Golden Globe. Yeah, exactly. So we don't know at this point if it's going to be televised. Um, the HFPA has said that whether or not it is televised, the show must go on. And this past week, um, they announced the nominations. They were actually announced by HFPA president Helen Hohn and Snoop Dogg. All right. So. Snoop. <laughs> so I'm not going to go over every single nomination, but I did send you an email so you can look at the list to Annabelle and we can go over what we think might take the things, you know, just for, just for funsies. Is it on the podcast account? It is, but I sent it to your personal as well. Oh, okay. Why do you know I not have it yet? Here, I'll try Is it under the shared with me thing in the drive? Oh, let me check. When the pimp's in the crib, yo, drop it like a song. Got an attitude. You're trying to get it. <laughs> if a homie get an attitude, like it's hot. I got a rollie your mom and a moonshine on and a one of us. Sorry, I'm trying to get to the drive. You're fine. Stan about to knock over my Christmas stuff. Like Stan is really out here just like being the Grinch of our household, just trying to knock over my ornaments and my stockings, just being a hoe. Loud. Okay. You ready? Yes. We have a special guest, Stanley. As a member of another species, he'll provide us with the diversity that we need. (laughs) 
just kidding you can go oh okay you're gonna sit in my lap so first up we have best motion picture drama I think Belfast is going to take it. I've heard great things about it. I think Kenneth Branagh has finally hit his stride when it comes to directing because he has had some duds in the past. So I think it's maybe his year. Nice. The only one of these I've seen is King Richard, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So I will go with that one. But I'm also biased because I play tennis. So I haven't watched it yet, but I know it's on like HBO Max and I really want to watch it. Mm hmm. Best motion picture, musical, or comedy. I really am excited about Licorice Pizza. Like, it seems like a very almost famous kind of thing going on. And I love Cooper Hoffman. I think he's extremely talented. And obviously, he takes after his father. So, yeah, that's what I'm excited about. The preview for that was just weird. I cannot, like, wrap my head around it. But, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something. But, uh I'll go West Side Story on this okay. one out of pure recognition. <laughs> Best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama. This is the hardest category for me because I really would like to see Jessica Chastain take it. But I also think Kristen Stewart did a really good job in Spencer. And also Lady Gaga seemed to be the only person that knew what movie she was in in House of Gucci. So I also kind of loved her. This is a great list. Yeah. These are all like awesome actresses i like nicole kinman though i i don't know anything about being the ricardos this just further resonates the fact that i don't watch enough new movies as they come out because i'm not familiar with most of these it's about um it's about lucille ball and desi arnaz that's oh, okay. what the movie is about. I've heard like mixed things about it though. So that's why I'm like kind of confused. Mm-hmm. Um, best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. I'm going Marianne Cotillard in Annette. That was a really big um, seller at some of the early film festivals of the year. So I'm, I'm going to go with Annette. I'll go Emma Stone and Cruella here. Ooh, did you watch Cruella? No, not yet. It's on my list. I want to watch it, though. I love Emma Stone. Gotcha. Maybe I'll watch it eventually. Best performance by an actress in a supporting role in any motion picture. I'm going Anjane. Am I pronouncing that right? I hope I am. I apologize. Anjane, maybe? Anjane Wallet or Anjane Ellis in King Richard. She's nice. gotten a lot of recognition for that role, so. Uh, I will agree with you on that. Okay, cool. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama, Will Smith and King Richard, honestly. Like, once again, I haven't seen King Richard yet, but I've looked at the stats and he is just a powerhouse. I I, I enjoy Will Smith, so. Yeah, that was a really good role for him. Mm -hmm. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture musical or comedy. Once again, I'm going Cooper Hoffman in Licorice Pizza. He's also the youngest person in the category so I, I I love seeing like young up-and-coming artists take these like supposedly very prestigious awards so you want to deny Leo DiCaprio of another award <gasps> well he's gotten a lot of golden globes in the past I know I'm joking so. <laughs> no Just one cares of- about him anymore after he won his Oscar they were yeah, like whatever ah. <laughs> like he's good <laughs> they're like I don't know um, best performance by an actor in a sporting role. Uh, I'm going Jamie Dornan in Belfast. Once again, he, his performance has been very, um, is heralded as very good. So that's him. He's so attractive. He, I, I... he's Christian Gray, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. 
So that is, is he your choice? That's, well? Sure. That'll be my pick too. Okay. I do like Ben Affleck, but I know you don't agree with me there. So I don't mind him. He's not like my favorite person in the entire world, but I, I recognize that he's a great actor. Like I loved him in Argo. Argo was fantastic. Argo is such a good movie. Oh, so good. But yes. Um, all right. Now we're going into the television field. Best television series, drama. Um, I know Secession just wrapped up its third season or is like about to wrap up its third season. And it's gotten a lot of like good reviews. But mm-hmm. I also think the return of the morning show could pose some some. You don't think it'll be Squid Game? I knew you were going to say that. And I knew I knew I just... Once again, with the lack of diversity in the HFPA, I just don't believe enough of the nomination and the voting committee has seen Squid Game. Oh, that they would pick a K-drama? Yeah, that's yeah, fair. P- yeah, pick a show with, like, um, as with Korean as the main language. I just, I don't believe it would happen, so. Succession season three just wrapped up Sunday. Okay. I'll pick that one. It, it was quite a finale. You watch it? You watch I, it? Yeah, I watched Succession, yeah. Okay. I've never I've never watched any of it. I just followed the press associated with it. I I don't think you'd like it, honestly. It's the very associated business-y. press. It's very businessy and talk about uh whitewashed. It's Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. So Alyssa would not like it. <laughs> right, yeah. Best television series, musical or comedy. Ted Lasso is on a roll lately, so I don't like as much as I would love to see. I'm so excited that Reservation Dogs got nominated in this category. That mm-hmm. is a fantastic show. Um, I love every bit of it, but I just don't think it has enough, you know, willpower to do it. Same thing with The Great. I love The Great, but I think Ted Lasso is like the power player. Yeah, I would agree. I think they've been on a roll, though. I have heard that season two is not quite as good as season one. That's fair. That's fair. Hacks may also come through because hacks like they won a lot. They won uh, a lot last season. So yeah, and at the Emmys. So like they snuck in at the very end of the like um the eligibility period last season. So I didn't know anything about hacks until recently. So I'm still learning about them. Okay, best limited series, anthology, or motion picture made for television. I'm personally, I would like to see Mayor of Easttown take it because that was my personal favorite out of all of these. But I've also heard really great things about Dope Six. So mm-hmm. those are my I would favorite. go Mayor of Easttown here too. Now, did you ever watch Impeachment, American Crime Story? No, I, I don't know. I just think the whole Monica Lewinsky scandal is like so overdone and tired and like just compared to the scandals that we had in the last presidency like obviously the Lewinsky thing was a scandal because it was like dirty Mm -hmm. but dirty isn't like sexual not yes Mm -hmm. but I, I don't know it just seems like small potatoes compared to like what has happened recently and I don't understand why we're still talking about it <laughs> so i watched the first two or three episodes of impeachment and honest to god i was bored out of my mind yeah i'm sure and like i loved oj and i loved uh, versace but mm-hmm. impeachment i felt just really lacked any type of creativity in the writing department so that's that's why i never finished it and yeah. 
I've heard great things about Maid. Maid just came to my attention recently, so I might look into that. But I really liked Mare of Easttown. I yeah, really that's did. on my list. I haven't watched it yet, but I want to. <gasps> Ooh, okay. No spoilers. I won't say anything. Um, best performance by an actress in a television series drama. I'm going either MJ Rodriguez for Pose because I would love to see a trans woman um, take a major, once again, a pre- once prestigious award. Um, but I also would just like to see her awarded in general um, or Jennifer Aniston in the morning show. Yes, I like Jennifer Aniston a lot. Um, Elizabeth Moss is really good. I, like, I haven't watched Handmaid's Tale in a couple of seasons because it gives me nightmares, but mm-hmm. her performance is really good. So I would maybe give the edge to either one of those. But as you said, it'd be really cool to see a trans woman take that home. My thing with um, The Handmaid's Tale is, you know, there are some series that are nominated year after year after year. But I feel like The Handmaid's Tale has reached its peak, you know, in terms of awards. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, it's terrible now. But, you know, time time comes and goes. I agree. I would say it's kind of over for them. Best performance by an actor in a television series drama. Now, as I said, with the best TV series drama, I don't think many members of the... Um, committee have watched Squid Game. That being said, I loved Lee Jung Jae's performance in Squid Game, and I would love to see him take home something. I was kind of upset that, um, oh gosh, Ho Young, Ho Young, um, the the main girl that she wasn't nominated for anything because I thought her performance was stellar. But yeah, I it, thought she was like the best part of that show, honestly. Yeah, so I was kind of upset that she didn't get nominated, but I also really loved Lee Jung Jae. Other than him, I could see Jeremy Strong taking it um, because I once again, I've looked at the stats and his performance is always very like well praised. So, yeah, yeah, he's a method actor and he's like sort of become Kendall Roy, like he's sort of become like the devastated diva that Kendall Roy is on the show. My mom watched some or listened to some interview with him with The Neat Worker. And I think he got like a lot of traction with that because people are like, oh, he like actually is Kendall Roy. Yeah. You know, so yeah, he's got some very emotional scenes. So he would be my pick for that. I think he's a significantly better pick than, I mean, Brian Cox's character is awful in Succession, Mm -hmm. which I guess makes him a good actor because you hate him. But like, I, I would still give the edge to Jeremy Strong here. Yeah. Best performance by an actress in a television series, musical, or comedy. I'm betting most of my money on Jean Smart and Hacks, but I love Elle Fanning and the Great. She's like, I don't want to say she's the best part of the show because there are a lot of great parts of that show, a lot of great actors and actresses, but she, to me, like, obviously she plays Catherine the Great, but she she's just so great. She's wonderful. So those Is that on Hulu? Yes, actually okay. it is. And nice. season two just recently came out, so- Nice. Suck it out. She's pregnant. Spoiler alert. Ooh, okay. In the show. Yeah, Catherine the Great has an interesting life, so mm-hmm. I bet I would enjoy that. They actually like I it's it's like a long-standing like legend that supposedly in real life Catherine the Great um slept with a horse. Um Yeah. They they talk about it in the show. Like they make fun of that. They're like, oh, that'll never gain traction. No one will be talking about that in years to come. So it's funny. 
she also like hates her husband it's like she's mm-hmm. the great and he's the mediocre <laughs> no that's literally like not to give like too many spoilers but that's the whole plot of season one is her realizing yeah. that he's a piece of crap and so, so she she like tries to stage a coup against him yeah like try to overthrow him that's I think why I love it because I'm like hell yeah so because she like actually has passion for the country and talks right. about like all the things that she wants to do like she wants to improve like the education and the resources available to all of Russia so I really yeah I love the great best performance by an actress in a television supporting role um I almost almost gave it to Jennifer Coolidge in the White Lotus I haven't watched it yet but everything I've heard about it, like most people, when they talk about the White Lotus, they're like, oh, my God, Jennifer Coolidge. And but we love Jennifer Coolidge. We love Jennifer Coolidge, as we've talked about on the past. Uh, but I really think Hannah Waddingham does still have it for Ted Lasso. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Sarah Snook does really well on Succession. I, this is my main contribution because <laughs> no, this is great. I don't know anything about Succession. This is this is through no fault of Sarah Snooks, but like. They, the camera people, oh no, are constantly zooming in on this woman's butt. And don't get me wrong, she has a nice butt, but I'm like, the male I want to see her face. Why are they just looking at her butt? They award, they get like she wins, and the, the award is just given to her butt. To her butt, yeah. I mean, it, it's wild. I'm like, can we not objectify this woman, please? Is it is it really like about like the male gaze? Is that what they're trying to accomplish? No, not really. I mean, okay. that's, a, that's some of it, but like, she's just as awful and power hungry and smart, if not more so, than the rest of the people, the rest okay. of the men on that show. Also, I don't necessarily think she's in a supporting role. Well, I think damn. that's kind of a misnomer, but anyway, you would know more than I. So. Best performance by an actor in a television series, musical, or comedy. Um, I think Jason Sudeikis pretty much has honed it in for Ted Lasso, but I wouldn't be mad if Steve Martin took it for Only Murders in the Building. That was a really cute show. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Steve and Martin Short Uh were both really great in that. I could see either of them, but yeah, I'm with you. I think Jason Sudeikis probably has the edge. I have a soft spot for both Steve Martin and Martin Short. I just yes. think they're wholesome individuals. And Steve Martin is from Texas. So represent. Right. Yeah. Um, best performance by an actor in a television supporting role. This is our last category. I could go, I could see it going to Billy Crudup in the morning show. He was awarded a lot during the last season that the morning show was uh, nominated a lot, but also I could see it going to Brett Goldstein and Ted Lasso. I was very, very surprised that Oh Young Soo was nominated for this uh, first Squid Game. Not because like his character is, well, his character is bad, spoiler alert, but I don't know. Like I said, I feel like, let me make, let me make sure I'm saying her name right. So I'm not being rude. This I is the old her. man, right? Yeah, Ilnam, the little one, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. contestant number one. Yeah, Ho, Jung Hoyan. So I was, I was so close. I follow her on Instagram. I should know her name, but I felt that she gave a more convincing performance than um, Oh Young Soo. So I was, yeah. I was very surprised by that. But you know, credit where credit is due. He is a fantastic actor. So mm-hmm. for this last one, yeah, I think. I mean, this is a fairly stacked category. I don't know, Kieran Culkin. Yes. He's like so awful. <laughs> he he plays like the younger brother who is like equal parts devious and disgusting. 
Ooh. Yeah, I mean, like he's half the things he says, you're like, what? Like there, there's just so many swear words sewn in there and disgusting comments. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he's awful, but he's kind of like the perverted brother. Like everyone has their thing in that family, and that's kind of his. Yeah. But I mean, he's also just funny. I don't know. He's the comedic relief of the show for mm-hmm. sure. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps up my Golden Globes coverage. Um, tune in January 9th to see if they actually will be televised. Uh, yeah. What do you, do you want to bet on this? Do you think they will televise? I don't know. I'm not a betting woman. Um, but at this point, like I said, it's less than a month out. I'm yeah. going to say they're not going to be televised. I would agree with you. So, but yeah. Do you have a smile file? I'm going to see twice. <laughs> Um, Alyssa fought tooth and nail last Friday to get these tickets originally they were sold out but she managed to find some uh somewhere else and literally like that was one of the most stressful moments of my entire life like it was it was it was this is getting heavy so now I'm just scared what's going to happen when BTS finally announces their world tour because prayers going up for that (laughs) because not saying that like twice is not like twice isn't as good as bts i'm not trying to say that at all but like bts obviously has more notoriety sure so i'm terrified but at the same time i'm really excited so yay what about you that is exciting uh i get to go visit the biltmore mansion this weekend so that's exciting i've never seen it decorated. i know i've never seen it decorated for christmas so i'm excited have you been before i've been to the mansion before yes um doing an early christmas with my dad and it's not too far from their mountain abode so gotcha okay i've never been i want to go yeah i mean i i like that's a fun era of history like the gilded age and obviously seeing ridiculously nice houses is always fun it just makes me think of the good charlotte song lifestyles of the rich and the famous yes that's it's a good reference (laughs) All right, guys. Well, that concludes this episode of Woe Was Media. If you would like to hang in there and catch up with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Woe Was Media Pod. We are so excited for the Christmas season and what all that may entail for business and entertainment news. And we will keep you up to date as the as as the days of our lives go by yes. <laughs> i don't know where that came from but and if yeah. there's a uh, slightly fewer episodes out in the next couple of weeks please forgive us we you can deal to- with it it's the holidays yeah we want to enjoy the holidays as well so but yeah with that said we hope everybody has a good week and holiday season if you do like us um please consider giving us a five-star review on apple Podcasts or spotify but don't feel compelled to we woo <laughs> bye guys bye